Mo Money and how to make it on this episode of Always Listening. Welcome to Always Listening. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I believe that radio is podcasting's birthright. <laughs> and we are always listening. Now, wait, I want you to expound on that. Radio is podcasting's birthright. Yeah. I like, I like, I like what I think I heard there. Uh, but I don't want to suppose. Explain yourself. So sir. at the uh, recent NAB show down in Dallas, Bob Pittman, who is the CEO of iHeartRadio, said that podcasting is radio's birthright, which of course podcasters took as a rallying war cry. And um, I, I mean, I don't know what he exactly meant by that particular comment. I obviously have tried to dig to get more context to that exact quote. But I mean, listen, podcasters, especially independent podcasters, don't want to hear anyone in radio saying that podcasting is our birthright because it just comes off as not correct. And so I say that radio is podcasting's birthright because gosh darn it, we're taking over the world. Well, I mean, it does. One of them... Both of them are confrontational statements. I will agree with that, right? Both of them, if you're on one side or the other of the aisle, and most of us, I feel like, play in the gray area. Or I say shouldn't say most of us. Many of us play in the gray area in between. We live in the radio world and the podcasting world. But uh, either statement is confrontational. I would say that the podcasters, uh, uh, the radio is the birthright of podcasters, that is closer to a logical statement. Like you could make that make sense in a pretty natural flow. It, there's, it's hard to read the other one. Uh, podcasting is radio's birthright in any other way than you guys created this little hobbyist medium and that's cute. But clearly now that we've shown up, you guys have to get out of the way and we're going to stratify and build the real, the real clubhouse on top of it. Thanks for, thanks for laying the foundation, uh, which is first of all, nonsense. And Rob Walsh proves it all the time. He, he shows the stats. It doesn't matter what NPR does. It doesn't matter what Gimlet Radio does. They are a tiny fraction of the overall ecosystem of podcasting. And even the big players like an Aaron Mankey or a Joe Rogan or a, a Dan Carlin, those people are independents. Those people are truly independents running operations of their own, owning the whole stack uh, <laughs> with the guts and courage that Howard Stern still doesn't have. I'll call him out again. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard that quote. Oh. Jay. I hadn't seen that oh. uh, that statement. So I appreciate you bringing that up today. We've got a lot to get to today. Many many topics. So let's get right into it. We're going to talk about money, mo money, and how to make it. Let's start with this one from uh, a study by Jack Rysider, the creator of podcast uh, Darknet Diaries. That is a uh, a great show. The uh, Lime Link. Uh, the link is in the show notes. By the way, how much money? Do podcasters make? You know, I when I shared I shared this article in the uh, podcast movement Facebook group, and I said that, or actually somebody else had shared it, and I had commented on it, and I said that Jack got this mostly right. Um, there are certain things that he's uh, that that he's talking about that that I don't necessarily go down the same path as he does. And it starts off right off the bat with 99% of all podcasts make $0. In, in essence and in comparison, yes, the statement is correct. Most of the money in podcasting is with the 1% of podcasters. The 1% that you literally just named off uh, are the ones that are making the majority of the money that's flowing into the podcast space. But as we have talked about numerous times on this show... Smaller podcasters can make money in this space, and they can do rather well for themselves, too. It's not just, oh, I can pay a bill or I can, you know, get some beer, beer and golf money, as 
uh, as been described to me once before. It can be significant money even with a smaller podcast. It just depends on the type of podcast you're doing. If you're doing a sports show or a pop culture show and you're a smaller podcast, yeah, you're just going to be making beer and golf money. But if you're doing, and we've discussed this before, if you're doing a horse breeding show or you're doing a puppy grooming show or you're doing something that deals with sailboats or yachting, those are those are never going to be shows that are going to have giant audiences. They're, you're never going to have a giant audience for yachting. But the audience that's listening to a yachting podcast is, ooh, you want to talk about the moolah. Well, here, here's one that has just occurred to me in the last year or so, Jay, really. Uh, uh, historians podcast, historical podcasts, in particular, capturing stories of our elderly generation, there are, a, particularly if you're in a, a population of color or a minority group of some sort or an underrepresented uh, a voice, et cetera, et cetera, there are a million organizations that are that have tons of money, grant money, waiting to give to creators to create this type of content. I literally am wrapping up a project right now about an African-American settlement in Florida uh, and about their population. We're talking about people in their 70s and 80s and 90s. I think the oldest person we talked to was was like 102 when we interviewed mm. her, and she was she was a trip, man. She was just delightful. But these these this whole project has been paid for by a grant uh, from the uh, Humanities Council or something like that. You know, so the money is out there for the specific audiences. You're right, and it's not a little money. It's quite significant. It's money enough to to justify someone who's got a day job coming and adding this responsibility and saying, hey, let's I'll take up the creative head and, and hire myself an editor and make this a thing that, that I want to go and do. So the, the money's out there. But in general, he is correct by saying 99%. Well, let's say he's not pr- correct in saying 99% of podcasters make zero. He is correct in saying 1% of podcasters are making a bulk load of the money that's coming into podcasting. So he's correct in that aspect. And he shares the Libsyn numbers again. 7.1% of podcasts, 7.1% of all podcasts get 5,000 downloads per episode. That is an important number, 5,000, because that's the number that most companies that are dealing with third-party sales teams will tell you is what you need to do to get those CPM ads, those host read ads that come with the $20 CPM that everyone thinks they can get right out of the gate. No, you have to have 5,000 downloads per episode. Only 7.1% of 750,000 podcasts get that number. So it's important for you to understand. It's a very, very small group. I mean, we could do the math right now. I got to pull up a calculator to do it. You know what? I will. Joel, fill some time. Is, is it? <laughs> it's. I think it's like one percent, Jay. I mean, well, no, it's less than that. Even. Um, the, here's my thing. I love these numbers from Libsyn, by the way, because they can give a new podcaster hope. I I wish everybody, when they were starting out, would listen to the Libsyn feed and get those numbers because one of the things that he tells you, the first number he tells you, is if you hit. X, you're better than 50% of podcasts out there. And X is so small. I'm shocked every month by how it's about 200, 160 some months. It's 205 some months. Some months it creeps all the way up to like 300. But my point is most good podcasts, if you are consistent, if you have a clear point of like what I want to talk about and the message I want to give and the audience that I want to reach and you put out consistently, you will hit that number. It is not hard to get to two or three hundred every week listening to your podcast. That's an. E- I mean, Jay, you've you've started several podcasts. I've started a ton of podcasts. How easy is it to get to that two hundred number? If Very you do those easy. two things: good content, be consistent in your release schedule. It's, it's basically guaranteed. So I see all these young podcasters and they're like, nobody's listening to my show and they get so despondent. If you try, if you put in the effort, you can hit those two numbers. Maybe it won't happen in a week. Maybe it won't happen in two weeks, but in two or three months, five, six months, at least you can build an audience. If you go out there and promote yourself and you, and you just say, again, 
Build a website so that you're Googleable and findable by search, you know, put your show on YouTube so that people that are searching you there find you, but it's not hard to reach that number. And then you can say to yourself, 750,000 podcasts or not, I'm better than half of them. If that can't give you the, the, the push to come back next week, then you weren't passionate about creating in the first True. place. If you, and that, that is a point that Jack makes in this article is if you're getting into this for the money, you're in it for the wrong reasons. So you shouldn't be getting into the money. That said, there are ways to be making money. We're going over those ways right now with you on this particular program. Uh, 7.1% of podcasts, by the way, is 53,250. So 53,000 podcasts, that's it out of the entire podcasting universe. Because uh, we know out of that 750,000, there's probably only 250 that are actually live, quote-unquote, podcasts. But out of the 750,000, 53,000, that's it, get 5,000 downloads or more per episode. 2% of all podcasts get 20,000 downloads per episode, and only 1% of podcasts get 37,000 downloads or more per episode. So... I mean, when we're talking about the Joe Rogans of the world, we're literally just talking about Joe Rogan. Right? There's not, there are not yes. many other contemporaries to Joe Rogan's numbers. It's like like a few hundred podcasts, you know, less than a it thousand. Wouldn't even be probably, that. Are getting well? I mean, if yeah, if you roll it down, that's what I'm saying. Like it might be like five or six hundred total podcasts that get over 37,000 downloads. If, Joe Rogan's way above that. Joe Rogan's up in the in the Dan Carlin stratosphere. You know, he's the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Um, so, yeah, that is astronomical. So what is reachable? Like, what are the numbers that the shows that we're talking to can get, I guess, is what we really want to know. Well, I mean, when we're talking about 200... 200 is 50%. Let's just use that number, 200, because it's a nice and easy one. I will say 200 is like a guaranteed, if you're doing good content on a consistent basis, that's sort of the guarantee. I, I will tell you, you can get to 200 very easily. Getting past that 200, like getting from 200 to 1,000 is extremely difficult. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat that. To get from 200 to 1,000 and then from 1,000 to 5,000, I mean, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort, more than just I've made great content and the cream is rising to the top. It takes more effort than that to get to that particular number. But at the 200 level, I mean, we talked about it just last week where this particular show was making about, I think you said it was making somewhere about 20, 20-ish yeah, dollars a, a month. Yeah, a little less than $20 a month. And on a on a good month we were hitting right at 20 bucks on a bad month we were we were never below uh like 13 14 dollars a month in ad revenue strictly from dynamic ad insertion even even well and we had uh yeah we were in that range most most and my football podcast just finished probably its best month ever uh where we made close to 60 70 dollars uh in the month of September now I'm a football podcast. I happen to know August and September are my best months because everyone's gung-ho about the NFL. Uh, my audience is now going to start declining from this point forward until I get to the playoffs. Uh, but that's because I've been in this. I know exactly how my audience responds to the content. I know the seasonality of the content that I'm providing. Uh, all of that comes into account when you start trying to account do the accounting for your podcast. Um he goes into uh, a, a discussion about the big networks, Wondery, The New York Times, This American Life, Serial, uh, and, and shares their numbers, which I'm sure he's getting from yeah, – he is. He's getting it from PodTrack. Uh, so like the New York Times, for instance, got 9,312,000 downloads uh, for August 2019 across nine shows. So, I mean, quick, simple math tells you it's a million downloads per show, but I guarantee that's not the case. I'm sure – one of those shows makes up a bulk of the 9 million downloads and the others are getting some sort of percentage. Wondery also 9,261,000 downloads uh, in August for 82 shows. And This American Life serial 5,469,000 uh, across the two shows. And I would be interested to see what the split is between This American Life and Serial at this point in time. Like how much of that 
five million is still going to cereal. Because I'll bet it's I'll bet there's probably at least a million. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't I don't know. We've talked about it again on this show before, but like it is it is bizarre to me that when we talk about cereal, even though there are three seasons out there, effectively all of that revenue is still coming from season one. <laughs> Like that's the only one that has ever been a hit at all. And it's the only one that's got a long tail too. Now he breaks it down for you. If they did one ad with a $20 CPM, which is a low estimate, but fairly industry standard, the New York times would be making $186,240 a month. Uh, and that's of course, assuming that they're getting all of the $20 and it's not a revenue share. Most places industry standard is 60, 40, where the uh, company that is producing the content is getting 60 and the company providing the advertisement is getting 40. Uh, and those are always negotiable as well. Some of the bigger ones might get an 80-20 split, um, but you're not going to see much higher than that. Uh, so with one ad, 186240 Well, the New York Times Daily has two ads. Wondery shows are notorious for having a lot of ads, uh, usually they have three, sometimes five, and This American Life Serial typically have about three ads. So guessing uh, based upon the, all those particular numbers, and again, still using the CPM of $20, uh, the New York Times on a yearly basis uh, will make $4.4 million. Wondery will make $4.4 million, and This American Life Serial will make $2.6 million dollars based on those August numbers and and the low CPM $20 and the guess of how many ads per episode that are in there. That's not ginormous money at all. And I can also tell you those shows are also getting bigger than $20 CPMs. Uh, I believe there are other advertising opportunities other than two ads per show in the New York Times. And there's other means that they're making money. So they're making more than that. But even on a base level, you can see sort of where their where their floor is. I like to call it like their floor. This is what you're like we just talked about 200 downloads is guaranteed. This is what they're guaranteed to make on a yearly basis with their productions. Right. Right. Tim Ferriss, he he goes through the Tim Ferriss experiment, you know, where he got rid of his ads, was going to try and do a listener supported model. The listeners were like, no, nah, we're not going to do this and went back. So with Tim Ferriss, he says he charges $60 CPMs for his ads and has 500,000 downloads per episode. He says at 500 times $60 times two ads, $60,000 per episode. He puts out episodes weekly. So he's making $3 million a year from his podcast. Again, that would be a floor guesstimate as to what Tim Ferriss's income yeah, is from the I, podcast. I, I would be willing to bet it's closer to double that. Like honestly, because again, you just you just look at the numbers on his books and you got to think he's making probably 2 to 4 million a year on book sales, which if he says easily podcasting beats his books, then I'm saying that's got to be up there at like 5 or 6. The Joe Rogan, I, I think, did we do the Joe Rogan one on this podcast? Yeah, you, and I think my estimate you, is way higher than 800,000. But yeah, quite a lot. But yeah, but even at 800,000 per episode, you can sort of see what his floor is. And I believe, uh, I believe Joe Rogan's making way more than $800,000 a month. And if he's not, he should be. And we already discussed, he should be calling me if he's, if he's not. Uh, and then Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas, they put their income reports online for you so you can see exactly how they're making their money uh, on a monthly basis. Um, and you can see how JLD has made himself a millionaire from his podcast. Same with Pat Flynn. Uh, do, 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 you can see, you can also see um, on Patreon. Patreon uh, has monthly incomes available for for podcasts. The biggest one is the Chapo Trap House they make $140,000 a month just from Patreon, uh, from their listener support. And then True Crime Obsessed comes in at $54,000 a month. Okay, Chapo Trap House. First of all, the the name is is like very memeable, but this is a sort of like left of center podcast. It's a politics podcast. And I this is a perfect example, Jay, of how 
This is not a podcast for everybody. This is not a mainstream show. No one is ever going to put that show on television. No one is ever going to listen to that show and confuse it for NPR or CNN or or Fox or MSNBC or anybody else that your father would watch. Mm. Okay? But <laughs> the people that want it, it's perfect for. It is exactly what they want in their commentary uh, and, and politics with a little bit of comedy. And because of that, they're rewarding them. 140 grand a month? Jay, what kind of business could you and I run on 140K a month? Quite a bit. <laughs> quite, quite a nice one, I'll tell you that right now. That's a split between 31,474 patrons. Uh, here's one that's close to my heart, the fantasy footballers. Uh, they make $44,411 a month on Patreon alone. They also do ads. So, And I know that their audience is bigger than 11,137, which is the number of patrons that they have. So based on that 44000 a month and whatever they're making from advertisements, which I can tell you is probably rather close to that 44000 if not more than... Uh, the fantasy footballers are doing quite well for themselves too. They're probably close to the one hundred and forty thousand dollars a month. Uh, the same thing go all the way down to the bottom of the list. Muller she wrote is a podcast that I actually listen to. I am not a patron, but but Muller she wrote, and this was a great example of how how do you build up a patron list? How do you convert people over? How do you get up to thousands of patreons, uh, Patreon supporters? Uh, the way that Mueller, she wrote, did it is she promised a daily show. They said, hey, if we get up, and I can't remember the number. I think it was maybe 5,000 patrons, whatever the number was. They're way over it now. Uh, if we get up to X, we'll start a daily show called The Daily Beans. And then if we get to Y, we'll make The Daily Show available on the public feed too. And they did. Uh, and so now it's like all of a sudden just I, I'm again, I'm still not a Patreon supporter myself, but all of a sudden in my uh, podcast app, I started getting a daily episode of Muller She Wrote in addition to the weekly episode. I was like, oh, hey, look at that. Congratulations. What kills me is I think she's still got her day job. Mm. I mean, this is an or you know, it's a small organization. She's got some helpers there. So the 20,000 a month is spread around. She's not getting it all herself. But again, they've got ads in the regular show. So this is, I think, probably about half of what they're making total. Kind of blows my mind she's still working for the government at this point. Well, and it, I mean, just the quick math. I mean, even if you just do 10 months out of the year, $20,000 a month, you're making $200,000. I mean, yes, that's a phenomenally, that, I mean, that's an upper middle class, lower upper class salary, you're definitely in a different tax bracket at that point. But if you split it, I mean, that's an easily splittable number, 200,000 amongst two, three people. Uh, you can support three people on that, on $200,000 a year for sure. Uh, he goes down and further breaks down the number of podcasts on Patreon, says that 55% of podcasts on Patreon make less than $30 a month, um, which I can believe because again, I go by the rule of 10, 10%. If you ask your audience to do something, 10% of them will act upon that call to action. So if you only have 200 listens per episode, so you have an audience of 200 unique listeners, only 20 of them are actually going to go and do the call to action that you have. So if you're looking to start a Patreon, for instance, uh, only, you can only expect at your best, by the way, 20 people to follow up on that call to action. Now, another, again, could totally depend on the type of podcast you're doing. If you're doing a podcasting about yachting, perhaps you get more than the 10%. If you're doing a podcast about sports, I can tell you right now, it's way less than 10%. So there is sort of, uh, a, a give and take even to my rule of thumb rules that I apply. But again, if you're getting into this for the money, you're getting into it for the wrong reasons. Um, he goes on to compare all of this to how much people can make on TV and radio. And obviously the money there is still much larger, but there are examples of some celebrities who have gotten into this and have made some big money. Spotify gave Amy Schumer a $1 million deal and Conan O'Brien signed a mid seven figure deal to continue doing his show for two more years. Um, 
but Conan still makes over $12 million a year on his TV show, which, by the way, is on cable television, and we discussed he's getting a much larger audience on his podcast than he is on his cable television show. So that comes down to the fact that the distribution models for television and televised material have long since been established and codified and everybody knows how that works. So even though the audience for the individual episodes is small, TBS has a long history of television that shows them when you make a television show, you can expect this kind of return based on the audience size over time. And we're going to sell it in this many different ways and we're going to monetize it in this way and we're going to put it on YouTube in little snippets and we're going to do it on this thing and that thing and the other thing. And for podcasts, it's still an experiment. We don't know, again, for Serial. That first season of Serial is amazing. They, they did two spinoff seasons after it. I guess that's going to be all that we ever get. But what is the long tail of revenue for that? What is the equivalent of syndication for podcasting, right? I think yep. that's what the big media companies are holding out for. And that's the reason why Conan's contract still makes more at TBS, even though his podcast audience dwarfs the cable show. And don't forget, I mean, we, we literally just sat here and talked about Serial probably still getting a million listens a month at a conservative estimate. So if they're putting new ads in there using dynamic ad insertion, they're still making money off of cereal years after it's already been produced and long put to bed. You know, Jay, the only way that you're able to continue to monetize your podcast like that for that long tail is if it is perfectly polished. Mm. If you have a show that you can be proud of for the long term, then that's when you know you're going to be able to leave it out there and be able to dynamically insert ads again and again and again, perhaps, or sell it to a network maybe down the road. Uh, if you want to continue to improve your own podcasting skills, I got just the thing for you. Beyond the Edit, the Art of Audio Editing for Podcasters. The link is in the show notes. It's from Yaya Podcasting, Carrie Allfield Auric, uh, and the course is coming in in about five days from uh, the recording of this or so, you can sign up with your email to get uh, first dibs on the course. She'll notify you as soon as it's actually available. But people have been asking her to create a, a course about podcast editing for a while. It's finally happening. If you spend countless hours editing your show, if you're tired of Googling all the things, you're fed up with spending hours solving your problems and leveling your episodes drives you nuts. Well, then this is for you. Beyond the Edit, The Art of Editing for Podcasters. Uh, sign up for it in the show notes. Thank you, Carrie Caulfield Arik and Yaya Podcasting for sponsoring Always Listen. Listen, does Carrie also teach you how to make those smooth transitions? Because that was really well done. I know, buddy. That comes from... What is it? They, they you pay me for the years, not the time, nah, right? Nah. The not the minutes. I that comes from years of radio broadcasting. I gotta thank Gary McKinney for those smooth transitions. That was perfect. When, when you when you have to go from uh you know beef and and dairy futures to uh, a, a car accident in you know on Main Street <laughs> to the latest uh, Tim McGraw song, all in a thirty second span, my friend. You get real good at sliding those transitions around, buddy. <laughs> Uh, you don't want to drive down Route 30 today because it's going to look just like the <laughs> rotten beef. <laughs> you don't want to pay for it. You know, soybeans are down. How do I know that? Because I listen to Big Z. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to give them the. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I got to thank radio for those smooth transitions. Hey, by the way, if you want to sponsor the show, if you've got a product, a service, uh, an event, uh, a, a podcast, uh, or anything else that podcasters would be interested in, uh, you can contact us uh, for details. Or even better yet, just go check it out, sponsor.alwayslisteningpod.com, and the link for that's in the bottom of the show notes, too. Uh, that's what Carrie did, and uh, so we're sending some folks our way. Jay, let's uh, go to this next article, a nice list of different ways to monetize your podcast. So we talked about really the things that Jason was talking about there. It's not for, or Jack, excuse me. Those aren't for everybody. He He's talking about that 1% of the 1% effectively was what he was focusing on. How to make money from your podcast. There are many different ways to make money from your podcast. It doesn't have to be 
through advertising. Now, the podcast host here has given us this nice list. does start with the, you have to have these things in place before you can even think about monetizing. We've already discussed them. Content, presentation, delivery, and performance, building relationships and community. You have to do that all before you can even think about monetizing your show. And then once you do that, you have to decide, is your audience prepared for the type of monetization that you're going to put forth? So how can we how can we make money with a podcast? Well, you can create a course, right? If you're you are an expert now, you're in podcasting. I can tell you right now, if you've started creating a podcast, you you are now technically an expert in podcasting. Uh, now you may not be a great expert in podcasting. There are probably others out there that are are more uh, adept and have more experience in podcasting than you do, but. You're an expert. So you could create a course to do, though, to do such a thing. I know of a certain person that's on this podcast that has created a course. Uh, indeed. Indeed. And uh, we're actually going to talk about one of those in, in a minute. But, I, I mean, just like we just mentioned with Carrie, like she had been doing this. She's a podcast editor herself. Her audience reaches out and says, hey, listen, I don't want to hire you. I'm never going to be able to hire you for my show. But I would like to know some of the things that you know. How did you learn? How do you, Can you quantify that knowledge for me? And you can just have coffee with everybody and tell them <laughs> individually. <laughs> but, Jay, that ends up uh, with very jittery nerves and a lot of wasted time. Am I right? <laughs> yes. <Have you> ever, <laughs> yeah. So the better way, the better way is to quantify that knowledge, to 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 put it down on paper, digital paper, so to speak, and to hand it to them. And you're talking about being an expert in podcasting, and that's true. If you've created a successful show or you've been doing this for several years, like you can look back at that and 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 say, hey, here's my successful track record, and I'd like to help share with you my experience on how to make a great podcast. But I always think about. What is your podcast about? Your podcast, unlike ours, is probably not about podcasting, mm, right. right? Your podcast is about TV shows or it's about football or it's about fantasy sports or it's about gambling or it's about basketball or it's about okay i've got clients that have shows about trademark law i've got clients that have shows about real estate i've got clients that have shows about you know veterinarians and 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 vet services for for your animals and and animal care all of those people are experts in their fields all of that information can be quantified into an an info package, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, make an info product. I know some of this sounds scummy if you've never come from this, but like, it's not scummy to, to help people and then to ask them to thank you for the time <laughs> that you saved right. them. Right. Like you don't have to price these courses astronomically to make it worth their while and yours both, because the idea is you do it once you create the course, once you put it out there and then they're going to buy it over time. So for what, again, maybe one person giving you 25 bucks or 15 bucks or five bucks or whatever you're going to charge for your info packet would not make it worth your while. But the plan is to sell it to 100 or 500 or 1,000 people or 50,000 people over time. And that, of course, comes with some hustle. You mentioned you could sit down and have coffee with everyone and hand them the piece of paper. Or you can create a website and do some marketing and buy some advertising and go to podcast conferences and there's there's definitely some hustle to growing your course, to getting the word that your course exists out there. And it could be a significant chunk of your time. It may not be, you know, your return of investment on that may not be worth it. Same with one-on-one coaching. This was an area that I got myself involved in in the last year where I was doing a little bit of this. But again, I didn't create a website I wasn't going to podcast conferences. I wasn't advertising my services other than on this show. So I was very limited in the amount of hustle that I was putting forth in creating a coaching uh, business for myself. Uh, Some of that was on purpose. But some of that was also just, you know, I lacked the drive to create a business for myself is probably a good way to put it. Others do. And... It does take a big amount of hustle on your part to really build a business like that. But it's definitely worth it if you can make it. If you get a number of, if you get a certain number of clients, you can live quite well off of that. And it just, it comes down to, Jay, like, what are your goals for podcasting? You know, is this, do you want it to replace, are you looking to replace your job? Is, or is it just a hobby? If it's just a hobby, 
then these ideas are not for you. It is cool to have in the back of your mind as things go bad in life sometimes. You know, you're like, oh, you know what? I don't have to take this anymore. I'm going to pivot. I got I got a plan B that's been stewing that I never really thought I'd take on. But look, here's my opportunity to swing and, and grab it. Uh, or I always think about retirement, right? We're living longer and longer. Yeah. Your kids get out of school and out of the house. Maybe you got a few less responsibilities, a few less bills. Maybe you decide to retire 10 or 15 years earlier and try a new thing out. If you've established an audience and you've established a base from which to grow any and all of these revenue streams, that's the point. It's not one of them. It's it's all of them that fit for you and your audience. My father, I'll use my father as a perfect example of what you just described. My father just retired from his job and he's 60. He turned 69 just this week. Happy birthday, dad. You know. The way that humans are living these days, he's still got like a good 20 years left on this earth. And that's, again, that's probably a conservative estimate based on modern science. So what the... Like able-bodied, right. vigorous... So going what the out. hell is my father going to do with his time for 20 more years? I mean, it's just, it, it, it boggles my mind to think at some point I'm going to be in that same position. How am I going to fill my time? You know, I, I could end up literally becoming bored to death where it's like, all right, you know what? I'm just bored. Good night, everybody. Well, you, you hear that, especially in men, you hear about it in women sometimes too, but especially in men, you hear these guys that retire, you know, they leave their, you know, their, their board position or whatever they go and they're like, Oh, I'm going to golf. I'm going to golf all the time. They go home and they have a heart attack within a week at home. I think it's literally because like, what else are they doing? Like they don't have they don't have a drive anymore. They don't have a place to focus the well, energy. Well, they got fat so I'm sitting telling on the you, board and all that extra activity. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> it's too much for their body to handle. <laughs> that, but but, but I'm, I'm telling you, even if you're listening to us today and you're like, well, I'm not trying to build a business with my podcast, really. I'm, ju I'm just trying to make a better show. Okay, but keep some of these ideas in the back of your mind. Build your show out so that it could support some of these if and when you need them or if and when you want them. Right. Somebody pointed out to me that, yes, the demographic for podcasting is younger. There's a lot more younger people getting involved in podcasting. However, that just means there's an opportunity with the older generation. And if you can relate to the older generation better than, say, I can or my kids can, then you are in a better position to create content for that older generation that ultimately is going to be looking for it because they're bored to death. All right. Sponsorship, we've covered this more ways than one. Uh, write an ebook. This is an interesting one. I mean, I hear it all the time. I think this is more popular amongst the entrepreneurs out there, but it is definitely an option. It's definitely something that you can make money from. So I think a lot about uh, hobbyist true crime podcasts. You could easily write up some, like maybe you have some stories that you don't, maybe your show normally includes audio production. So you get like snippets of interviews or journalists or something, and you don't have that for one story. Great. Turn that one into an ebook and release it as a bonus or sell it or make it an email opt-in or whatever. Like you've got an audience that wants this content. You've got content that's adjacent to it. That's that's a great opportunity for an ebook. Just be careful when you bring up the true crime that you're not plagiarizing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you can't just copy news articles. You especially can't copy news articles and paste them into an ebook. That's a big. Yeah. that's absolutely. Yeah, a don't no -no. do that. Uh, sell a product. I mean, this is something you know uh, that you can that goes along with creating a course. But maybe you you've you've got an Etsy shop or. Maybe you're a slime. This is an interesting one. So I went and talked to my daughter because I noticed that the one of the local casinos here in Connecticut is having a slime conference. And it's not just any slime conference. It's the fifth annual slime conference featuring all of your favorite YouTube celebrities who make slime on YouTube. And I'm I was my mind was blown. So I went to my daughter who by the way, considers herself a slime-making aficionado, but doesn't put videos of herself making this slime. And I said, do you know who this Maddie May is? Or Matt? I forget her name already. I know it's Maddie something. And she's like, no, I don't even want, I don't watch those videos anymore. Like, I'm beyond that. My daughter's 12. She's already beyond it. So, but she'll still make slime. 
You still got to buy gallons and gallons of freaking glue and freaking detergent so she can make this stupid slime that she just puts in container and lets sit from. I don't even know. What the hell are you supposed to do with this slime <laughs> after it's done? You can't do anything get, with she it. You got to get cranking on distribution, Jay. You got you to gotta tell her you can't store that stuff. You got to move it. You got to sell it. Start, start getting right. your friends to buy all of this. She's back into... 50 cents a tube or something. She's back in, Add up the bill of goods. She's back into bracelet <laughs> making with yarn. <laughs> See that? Yeah. Who knows? Oh, my daughter's great. So the product, product in particular, Jay, the, the thing that I think about is, again, like a, in, the, in the podcasting area, and I've seen some people that do this, that sell like a packet of presets... So like they in in your favorite editor or or digital audio workstation maybe they have a bunch of presets for the EQs or something. Oh, that's interesting. And it's a template file that you can save out. Here's something that I've thought about doing, and I can't figure out exactly how to do it uh, well. In Ferrite, the audio editor that I use, you can make uh, templates for episodes and um, share them as zip files. And I've thought, how could I make a generic podcasting template mm. that would be like reproducible or useful. And I haven't come up with a way to do that yet, but if I ever do, I'll absolutely sell that bad boy, like as a downloadable zip file, you know? Um, and, and again, you don't have, okay. So if you're in, if you're into horses, maybe you can connect with a local manufacturer who's got a great product, but is just starting out and doesn't have a brand name. And you say, Hey, <laughs> how about we make an investment, a partnership here? And we put, our name on it or we make it the official product of the our community or whatever you know and all of a sudden now glenn the geek's got a you know a, a horse cream that's his right you know and that he gets a piece of i mean that is absolutely a thing you can do if you build these niche audiences solo service again i would put this in the same as build a course uh, all that stuff affiliate income we discussed that with pat flynn he obviously has made a ginormous business off of affiliate income i would say with affiliate income the most popular one is obviously amazon um that can be tricky sometimes so definitely want to be a little careful with that i wouldn't certainly put all of your eggs into the affiliate basket but it's definitely another means to monetize through your podcast Amazon in particular is shady about when they cut you off. They they cut me off a couple of years ago because the state changed their tax policies. I've I've heard of businesses much larger than mine that were using Amazon affiliate uh, revenue and have been cut off with the checks unprocessed. You know, they got hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars worth of affiliate income that's hanging out there that Amazon's just never going to release, and their terms allow them to do that effectively. So, yeah, that is um, a potential pitfall. The other thing that I'll say about affiliate revenue, and I have used it in the past, I'll use it again. Uh, the, the one thing is there sometimes it can be a matter of like, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm. If you are getting affiliate revenue, you as the provider, as the, as the promoter, need to be careful that you're not pitching it as snake oil good for everybody, mm. right? The thing that you're talking about probably is great for a segment of your audience, but you need to make sure that you present it as what it is, good for who it's good for, not good for everyone. And any anyone who comes to you asking for advice doesn't immediately qualify to get that affiliate link, I would say. Creating premium content, we've discussed this before. Uh, you can and and you we brought it up with the ebooks. You know, creating a a separate podcast that people have to pay you to get. I think that's pretty self explanatory. Selling yourself as a podcaster again, this goes towards the expert thing and one on one coaching. We'll do that. Patreon, crowdfunding, and donations. We've discussed that. Creating an email list. Now, this is interesting. Um, the email list. I don't necessarily know how that's going to make you money unless you're going to sell that information to a company, well, which I would not yeah. recommend doing. No, the uh, email list as a pure money play is impossible, and, uh, and I don't think that's what they're implying there. So email list would be one step to many of these other opportunities to to build revenue out of your audience like if you're going to sell a product if you're going to sell a service then developing an email list from your audience is a good idea but um you know it's not gonna make you money on its own selling merchandise again i use the 10 percent rule if you are selling merchandise my rule of thumb is 10 percent of your total audience is going to actually react to that call to action in some cases it can be less i know i've made very little with the t-shirts I have sold for next fan up. Uh, so, 
but it is a, another way of making money that you didn't have previously. Um, so th there you go. There, there's an easy, nice list uh, of different ways to make money. Thank you to the podcast host for providing that list. Uh, there's also other means as well. I mean, there's so many different ways you can make money, but that's a good list to really work off of and see what fits best for your audience. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, I don't have a uh, smooth and sexy transition this time. How dare you? We are going to uh, tell you one of the ways that we've made some money from our podcast. How about that? Yeah. That's my sexy, smooth transition. <laughs> I've, I pulled it out anyway. Uh, we have sponsors, and one of the sponsors this week is all about Apple Arcade. Uh, Apple Arcade is a monthly subscription service from Apple. It is super easy. It, it's available now on your iPhone, your iPad, and Apple TV coming soon, I believe, this month to the Mac. Mac as well. $4.99 a month gets you access to, Apple says, a little over 100 games and more every month as well. Uh, all downloadable, no in-app purchases and, uh, you know, no uh, ongoing issues. So you don't have to pay money to download the next pack or anything like that. Very, very cool. If you're interested in that sort of thing, then this is the podcast for you. All about Apple Arcade, weekly episodes where you get not only reviews of the games themselves, but also news and interviews with the creators and other gamers all about apple arcade is available everywhere you get podcasts or at the link in the show notes right now and is hosted by yours truly oh see see that's another way you get, when i when there there was that link about selling yourself as a podcast you could become a host go out to somebody that's looking for a host for their podcast and be like i do podcasts i can be the host of your podcast and you can just pay me a nominal fee to be the voice of your particular show your content or even something like uh, Mark Deal. We've talked about Mark Deal in the past. A, a, a great guy runs the Atlanta podcast meetup group. Um, you know, he's a podcast director. He works with lawyers. He gets on the phone with them while they're conducting the interviews. He's not actually involved in the show itself, but he helps them craft the show. Hey, the question you asked was good. But the answer wasn't enough. We need you need to go back there again. Can we get that again? Or hey, the technology failed. We got to get that whole section again. Can we please? Or I think that's good. This guy's a little boring. Let's wrap it up. Uh, you know, whatever it is, he's prompting and creating a better show because those professionals are experts in their field. Not in podcasting. They don't know how to craft a great episode, how to get the best out of out of an interview, perhaps. They know how to get the information out in a courtroom, but maybe not on the air. By the way, I call that a producer, just so you know. That's what I yeah, that's what so, I refer to as a producer. Somebody that difference. somebody that cuts up a show and puts it together, I call that an editor. I, I agree. Uh, I use both terms. So the way that I refer to it personally, because I do a little of that myself now for some clients, and I call that live production. Fair. I'm your live producer on these for these clients, and I'm not a live producer for these other clients over here. I am the producer for many of my clients in that I make executive editorial content decisions even for them based on the instructions that they've given me in the past. That's the difference I would say between an editor and a producer. If you're not, if you're not deciding things to cut, then you're not really a producer. You're right. But sometimes they're in, in podcasting. I think we have live production and then like post-production. There's one other uh, way. Jay, let's one other way to make. Yeah. Money. You want to talk about pod fund? I do. Oh, there's one other yeah, way. The pod fund. <laughs> Yes, you could okay. you could get you could get a company to invest in you, such as Podfund, and they invested in three new shows uh, just recently. Uh, one of them is Dive Studios, which is an English language podcast network focused on K-pop and Asian culture. Uh, that's an interesting addition to their um, to their funding. Uh, remember, they uh, Podfund was developed. Uh, with a certain amount of money, I forget exactly how much, but you can get a investment from them up to $50,000, I believe, was the amount that they were totally investing into each of these particular projects. Uh, Domino Sound is a woman-owned Brooklyn-based podcast studio that aims to bring equity to the world of podcasting by promoting acceptance, inclusion, and awareness through authentic storytelling. Boy, is that a marketing sentence if I ever heard one. But uh, <laughs> listen, 
I'm not I'm not here to 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 make fun of the the marketing language. I'm I'm here to say congratulations to Domino Sound as they got an investment here from Podfund to help make more of their podcasts which look like they're very important in terms of talking about diversity and uh other very important topics that uh, this world doesn't talk about enough. Uh, it sort of focuses more on that division between us instead of talking about how do we get ourselves back together. Well, I'll say this for, for uh, Domino. I, I did not know it, but I've listened to a couple of their podcasts. Uh, they're responsible for Akimbo with Seth Godin, which I've heard, and they're responsible for Scream Queen, uh, which I've, I've heard as well. So uh, those are good shows. Those are, those are well, well done shows. Congratulations. This one is the one that really made me sort of scratch my head and go, why are you investing in this? Osiris Podcasts started in 2018 by Fish lead songwriter Tom Marshall and Fish uberfan RJB. Osiris creates and curates podcasts for passionate and engaged music fans and allows artists to create a deeper connection with their fans. Just so you know, I'm reading these sentences directly from the Podfund Medium blog that announced that these signings were happening. Instead of paraphrasing, I decided to read it straight from the website so that you know I'm not uh, committing plagiarism here. I'm giving credit where credit is due. Uh, Osiris's shows focus on music and culture from podcasts featuring high-profile musicians, including shows led by Bob Crawford of the Avett Brothers, John Barber of the Disco Biscuits, to explorations of specific bands and genres. Why does the lead songwriter of Fish need an investment in podcasting? That's what I want to know. So, well, it's interesting because basically all of these uh, seem to be not shows, which is what I thought Podfund was doing, investing in shows. These are all networks, creators. Mm. These are effectively tiny versions of Spotify's purchase of Gimlet. Mm. Yes. <laughs> right? Like all three of these are production companies that are focused on specific genres or areas. Uh, two of them focused on the music uh, genre, but sort of in, in very different fields. I look at this and say, this is a play for a bunch of Spotify buys. Right. Mm. Like they're That's trying to create a handful of shows that Spotify wants to come in and scoop up and and purchase and then pay back those investors very quickly. That's interesting. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, I, you, would, the sort of you would think that, that certainly again, like, this fish one would definitely be something that Spotify would be like, oh, we're going to bring you on. And here's a uh, two hundred thousand dollars and they can easily take fifty thousand and give it back to pod fund or well, whatever well, the investment just, is. Not just the one, but it's like it's like Jay, a big record label, uh, getting in bed with Death Row Records back in the day. Death yep. Row Records goes to artists individually and says, "Hey, we're doing this ourselves. That's a good one. You you can host the your whatever podcast you want to make, man. You want to get weird and talk about music in your way. We are for you. And this big company behind us is going to give you a bunch of money to do it too. That's the perfect example. Good job." <laughs> yeah, it's 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 literally death row records. That is exactly or and that's you not know, the only one in the country music genre. You've got big machine records with Keith, uh, Toby Keith. Like it's his he he got a deal from a larger record label that says, Toby, you do whatever you want to do. We want to be a part of it, including why don't you go find a bunch of young artists that you want to make some music with? And and, you know, we'll we'll get a piece. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. Don't worry about how big our piece is. That's what it sounds like. That's what this sounds like to me. And you know what? That's a smart play, Jay, because Spotify wants to do this. The current uh, arena around music licensing and podcasting is like opening up. Right. All the music labels are interested and they're listening now for the first time. So this feels like exactly the right move to make. Honestly, this is really. But it's the kind of thing that Tom Marshall, the lead singer of Fish, he like he's not going to use his own money to bankroll a project, a big project like that. He might do his one podcast, but he's not going to start a whole network and try to build off of it with his own money. He's going to go to the big company and say, let me spend your money. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Tom Marshall, you should use your own money. <laughs> You'd make more money by doing that, too. Other people's money, Jay. That's how rich people get richer. You didn't learn that lesson? No, I didn't. 
All right. Uh, we got to wrap up today, Jay, but uh, one last sponsor. We are brought to you this week in part by the Podcasters Toolkit. Uh, I am part of this. You mentioned earlier that I've got courses. I do have a couple of courses out there available. One of them, the iPad Podcasting Crash Course, is going to be part of this. 50 top podcasting professionals from around the world. You can get all of their training materials. I'm talking about hundreds of hours worth of info and education. It's part of the Podcasters Toolkit. The link is in the show notes. You can't even buy it yet, though, Jay. It's going to be $39 when it's available, less than the price of a video game. You can get I think it's a little over $4,000 worth of content all in this one package. The sale starts October 7th. If you want to make sure that you get notified, then uh, register. Sign up at the link in the show notes, and you'll get notified as soon as it's available. The sale only lasts from October 7th at midnight to October 11th. On the 7th, there's going to be a webinar, like a, a long live stream with a bunch of the different creators showcasing what we're going to be uh, teaching you how to do. Uh, you can catch mine at 9.30, I think, Central Time in the morning, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. That's my uh, live webinar on the 7th. But go ahead, register in the show notes, click the link, put your email in, and you'll get notified as soon as it's available. It's the Podcaster's Toolkit, uh, again, only on sale next week. Joel, if you don't mind... And I'm going to buy the video game that everyone else isn't because, you know, I don't need the <laughs> podcaster's toolkit. So, yeah. Sorry. No. But that's just me. <laughs> that's what I, say to I you recommend too. it for everybody else out there. Everybody else absolutely needs the podcaster's toolkit. I don't. I've got my own. It's really nice. Unlike, like, when, oh, my dad, when my dad had a toolbox, it was like a big cabinet. It was, like, really cool looking. And like now me as a as an adult man, I don't have anywhere near what my dad had in terms of a, a tool cabinet. I have I literally have a toolbox and that's about it. And then if I need anything that I don't have, I go to the neighbors and borrow what whatever tools they have. I'm I am tool deficient. But with podcasting, I don't just have a tool cabinet, dude. I've got like a tool garage. It's just like <laughs> filled. You've got a you've got a, a pod cave. It's like overflowing. <laughs> In terms of in terms of what I have, in terms of a podcaster's toolkit, but everyone else, I recommend go get that toolbox because you're going to need. Particularly it. Jay, particularly if uh, the people listening are sports podcasters and they're looking to tap some of your vast podcasting knowledge mm. to help grow their mm. show, perhaps make a connection in your new position. How would they reach out? To Especially you? if you're a college football podcaster and you're doing a show on college football, I'm really looking to talk to you as the executive producer of the Locked On Podcast network so you can reach out to me at podvader at lockedonpodcast.com or you can tweet me at the real podvader uh it's two easy ways to get in touch with me if you are looking for help on your podcast or uh, just want to check out more about me and our shows anything else that we have going on you can find it all at propodcastingservices.com or you can follow me on twitter at the rogues life is my personal account or the business account at podcasting underscore pro until next week we have been your hosts i'm joel I'm Pod Vader, a.k.a. Suge Knight. <laughs> to live and die in L.A. is the only it was the only death row song I could think of. Uh, we are always listening. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Raver.
two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.